Welcome to the Sober Nation FM podcast, where we're putting recovery on the map. I'm your host, Jonathan Sylvester. This show is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Do you want to take your recovery to the next level? Do you want more support, community, and fellowship? Sobriety Engine is an incredible community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. You can get a ton of great tips, resources, and guidance to help you succeed in recovery and in life. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. Sober Nation FM is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle all while supporting your sobriety, then you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Nation, let's hop right into today's episode. Today, I'll be speaking with founder of the Ultimate Mom Challenge and writer, Celeste Yvonne. Thanks for joining me on the show, Celeste. Thank you, Jonathan. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And I want to hear all about the Ultimate Mom Challenge, uh, your writing, and everything else that you're working on right now. But first, could you share a little bit about what things were like before you got sober and how you actually found recovery? Yeah, so um, I had a pretty normal childhood growing up, pretty average, nothing very dramatic. Um, I had a father who was a high-functioning alcoholic, um, but he loved me with his whole heart, and he was a wonderful man. Um, I think... um, Growing up, I did not really see that anything was amiss, even though my mom was trying very hard to hide that from me and my siblings. Um, And it wasn't till I was 15 and my father had a severe stroke, he was 52 at the time, that um, I understood that he was killing himself with the way he was drinking and that what he was doing wasn't normal, it was dangerous. And it was potentially going to tear our whole family apart. Um, So that was kind of my learning, life learning lesson about what alcohol can do to a person and a family. Even so, it was very hard for me to understand. Why would somebody choose a substance over me? Why would somebody choose a substance over his family? How could he look at a family versus a bottle and say, I picked the bottle. And it made me very angry. And I went to high school very angry with him. Even though he did survive, he was severely damaged. Um, he had consequences that he would never recover from in his form of speech and his health and even his mobility. So um, I stopped talking to him for a while. And even then, um, once we were talking again, Um, I was angry with him. I felt like he had done this to himself and this was his own consequence. And for my own life, I decided I was going to be smarter and I was never going to let it get to that point with alcohol because I was going to come up with these rules and I was going to learn from his mistakes and not do that in my own life. Even as um, I saw firsthand Um, in college and in my 20s that I did not handle alcohol well. It was hard for me to understand when enough was enough. And binge drinking um, can be a very normal experience when you surround yourself with fellow binge drinkers. Yeah. 
Um, so there was no red flags for me in that regard because as far as I was concerned, I was following um, these rules that I had set up for myself not to drink and drive, not to um, drink myself, not to drink before 5 p.m. And by establishing these rules, I was going to keep myself safe and out of harm's way. Okay. Um, in my 30s, um, when I started having children, um, I think that's when I started to see the consequences of my drinking in the form of hangovers. Um, even when I wasn't drinking to extreme measures, I would wake up so exhausted and so drained with pounding headaches and thinking, how on earth am I going to raise a child today? Yeah. How do, how do I take a day off from parenthood? Because I cannot do both right now. I cannot manage this hangover and parent this child. And I think that's when I realized like I was going to have to make a choice. This wasn't going to be sustainable. I was going to have to either commit to being the mom I wanted to be, or I can keep drinking at the rate I was going and lose everything potentially. Um, and that's when I quit. It was about three years ago. Um, I was 38 years old and um, I made a choice. And I said, I'm going to make this choice, a choice my father did not have the opportunity to make. I'm going to make it now while I'm still young enough and I can still make these decisions with a clear head and um i haven't gone back um that kind of how i turned it around and found um some redemption in in my own story and in my father's story and um i would never go back i, I definitely feel like um this is this is the journey and the the direction i needed to go this whole time i just needed to get there on my own yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's a really awesome story. Now, you mentioned these rules. And I, I'm thinking back, you know, in my own story. And I don't know if I really considered them rules because they were pretty flimsy. Uh, you know, I would, I would break them pretty much immediately. But how well and, and how long were you able to follow these kind of these guidelines that you had set out for yourself with drinking? Yeah, I, I mean, they weren't stringent by any means. And I think um, my my in my own head i decided as long as i stuck to them in general i'd be good to go if people started drinking mimosas at 11 a.m on a saturday i'm still gonna go with it because it's a special occasion mm. and you know you can you can make excuses for any freaking rule you want to there's no problem there if you um if you want to play head games you can play them all day and i certainly made those rules um, more and more gray area um, as time went on. I mean, I was absolutely drinking on my own towards the end um, because I had established that um, in motherhood, you can drink alone. You're never alone when you're a mom, right? You've got kids around. So technically, um, my house is full. Uh, I just happen to be the only one drinking. Um, I also do believe that I used some of the societal uh, narrative that we hear around the mommy wine drinking culture to justify um, some of the uh, habits I was forming around drinking alone or um, drinking while parenting or using a hard day in parenting as an excuse to open the bottle of wine, even though um, 
I had been drinking too many days in a row and I hadn't taken a day off or I had, I had insisted to myself that I would not drink that day. Right. There's always a reason to make an excuse. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get that. It, it can become pretty easy to justify, you know, picking that drink up again for sure. Yeah. Now you, you mentioned this, uh, you know, this time about three years ago now, which is awesome where you just made this decision was there a defining moment that led you to make this decision? Yeah, so it was in December and we had just had a very long weekend of holiday parties. I think we had three holiday parties that weekend. And um, I was going into work that Monday. So it was early morning Monday and I'm at my computer and um, I started to get the sweats and I started to get this panicky feeling um, my hands were shaking. My heart was was going on overdrive, and I went. I got in my head that I was having a stroke, just like my dad. And once I went there, there was no going back. It, it went into a full blown panic attack. Um, I took myself to the ER. I checked in. I told them I think I'm having a stroke, and they checked my vitals and they sat me down in the waiting room for an hour, <laughs> which mm-hmm. you know was probably the sign I needed that everything was going to be okay. But um, that hour long wait, I'm grateful for it in the end, because that was like my come to Jesus moment where I was like, if I don't get my act together, I will do the exact same thing my dad did. And I will have the same consequences. And um, I sent my mom a message um, saying, hey, can you meet me at the ER? And she did. She met me there. And I told her um, right then and there, I said, I have a drinking problem. Um, I think I'm an alcoholic. And she was so supportive. um, But I also knew that by saying that, there was no going back. I could never excuse what just happened or pretend like it didn't happen or go back to the way life was previously um, because she would hold me accountable. Um, So, from that moment on, I knew things were going to change, and they did. Um, I, I never went back from that moment. Um, she held me accountable. I held myself accountable, and I stopped drinking after that point. Um, things I did for my recovery, I started reading books, um, learning more about what this is like. I knew about AA um, from from watching my dad's experience. Right. And- had um, misconceptions about it because I did watch him go to AA while being actively drunk, mm-hmm. being an active alcoholic, and it left a very bad taste in my mouth and it still left me angry. So I tried to find other ways to do this aside from AA. And I found that through um, the books that are available now. I found it through support groups and I found it through a lot of therapy. A- one-on-one time um, and then finding things that work for me as an individual so and there was different things I did to um, make this work for me and it has Um, but that was also me knowing what I needed and what I did not want to do to make this work and um, I do think that one thing is that's really hard when you're a mom of young kids Um, I remember somebody meeting with me saying, you know, you should um, do 90 meetings in 90 days. And I was looking at them like, um, are they, 
Are they new to planet Earth? As where am I going to find the time to go to 90 meetings in 90 days when I can't even have 30 minutes to take a shower? Yeah. Where does that even happen? So um, I think that there was a there's things I needed to do in my own life to make this work for me. Otherwise, I was going to find more excuses and I was going to go to the way um, things used to be. So um, you have to look at you as an individual, how you work, um, and what, what, what works for you. Um, is it accountability? Is it self-accountability? Is it um, forming new habits? And you've got to make your recovery work around you as a person. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, even though you watch your dad struggle over the years and, and try to get sober and, and then he had this stroke, you credit your dad with really helping you to get sober. What, why is that? And, and why do you see it that way? You know, I have no doubt that if I had stayed on the path I was on, I would have lost the ability to choose between my family and drinking, just like my father got to that okay. same moment yeah. of time where he lost his ability to, to use common sense where the addiction took over. I think I was able to see that and notice early enough, like I still have a choice at this time. If I keep going, I won't. And I will make, in 10 years time maybe, I will make that heartbreaking choice that I had to witness as a child where my own dad chose drinking over me and his family. And I don't ever wanna put my children in that position. I would. I, shame on me if I can't learn from my dad's own battle. Um, I were so similar in so many ways. And um, I think when he had a stroke and I was still in high school, I was angry with him. But the, the older I grew, the more I realized just how um, similar we were in personalities and personality types. And I think, um, I would be doing my father a disservice if I did not learn from his own experience and did not make the choices I could still make when he lost his ability to do so. And I do credit him for that. He was a good man. He was a wonderful father. Um, addiction won yeah. and it breaks my heart, but, but I can honor him and his legacy by by choosing life and choosing my family over it while I still have that choice. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That's, that's really cool. And really sounds like a great example of when people refer to this as a family disease, sometimes, you know, how you just said, like, you could see how I could see how my father and I were so alike and the same personality traits and, mm -hmm. you know, especially with the drinking and stuff. And that's, that's incredible that you were able to, to break that cycle. And I'm sure that in that moment there in the hospital, you were probably thinking, wow, like the next time I'm here, like maybe I will be having a stroke like my dad did. Yeah. I mean, why, what difference would it, how different would it be whether it was my father in the hospital having his stroke or it, it could be me in 10 years, like nothing I'm doing is any different than the games he was playing in his own head. Hmm. Um, my own, I'm sure he probably had his own rules. He was setting in his, in his head about what makes his drinking okay. Or, um, 
or excusable. And um, who am I to think that um, I'm that much stronger? Um, it, yeah, it, it's a definitely a humbling moment when you're like, him and I are so similar that I'm giving this, I've, I've been given this second chance and I have to, I have to take it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as you got started in your recovery and you started hopping into these books and, uh, you know, taking advantage of your therapy and joining support groups, what would you say was the biggest thing you were really struggling with early on in sobriety? For me, um, that first year was really challenging because I wasn't sure what I was doing and I wasn't sure what this was. Am I an alcoholic um, or is this, did, am I taking this too far? Like, who am I? Do I, do I now have to say I'm an alcoholic to anybody who asked me if I want to drink? Um, what, what am I doing with this? I think for me, the, the concept of identity was really challenging, especially when I wasn't exactly sure what this was. Um, I think in that first year when um, I just felt really insecure about everything I was doing, how I was doing it, and everything felt very fragile. Um, going to social occasions or social events was very scary because um, I, I couldn't predict how it was going to go. I would bring drinks with me. Um, so I was prepared. So if somebody said, hey, can I get you a drink? I would say, no, thanks. I'm good. I got one. Um, but I couldn't always be prepared for anything um, that somebody was going to ask. And so the biggest challenge in that first year, while I was still trying to figure out who am I and what is this and what am I doing and how do I, how do I explain myself? Um, that was, um, that was probably the hardest for me. It wasn't until I hit one year sobriety that I decided out loud that this is a lifetime practice. Like I will never go back. I never want to go back and I will never drink again. And I'm proud of that. It took me a year to get there. Um, so that first year, I really felt like I was walking on eggshells. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that's, uh, you know, I know I felt that way to a degree. And I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. They're just trying to figure out like what, you know, just what is all of this. But I love how you that just described that, you know, it's a lifetime practice because, you know, I'm involved in, in a 12 step program and you hear the, the phrase a lot one day at a time. But I personally do believe that like, I need to commit to this thing. You know, and maybe not to the, to the point where I'm thinking about, okay, I'm seven years old and not drinking anymore, especially yeah. in the, in the very beginning. Cause I know I did that. I, in my head, I was just like, well, how am I not going to drink at 40, you know, or 50 or 60, yeah. you know, I immediately went to, you know, 20, 30 years down the line, but I, I agree with you that it is, it is a commitment. So you mentioned a moment ago, mommy wine culture. And that's something that, that we've talked about here on the show before. But for those who aren't familiar with that, what is that? Like, what does that term mean? How would you describe it? And why is it a problem? Um, the mommy wine culture is the narrative that um, parenting is so challenging. Um, it's a great excuse to drink, essentially. That 
Um, mommies need wine to survive the chaos that comes with parenting. And it's, it's supposed to be humorous. It's supposed to be lighthearted. Um, I think the problem is it's so prevalent and it's gotten to the point where it's everywhere, you know, right down to t-shirts in the teen section at Target that um, people forgot it was a joke to a degree because um, it's become less of a ha ha ha, let's laugh about what I just said about mommy needing wine and more of a, you had a bad day, did you have some wine? Almost like a, if you've had first A then B. And um, I feel like we've lost the, um, the, the, the primary focus that should be part of that conversation, which is parenting is really hard. I mean, that's the defining focus of that conversation. Um, and we should be talking about why it's hard and what we can do about it and things that need to change. Um, I think that the mental load of motherhood, which is the invisible work that moms carry and that weigh on us, um, the assumption that even if we return back to work, we're still responsible for everything the children do, all the stuff at home, um, the family calendar, the meal planning, that's the mental load. I think the mental load is really hard and heavy. And instead of talking about as a society, what we can do to lighten that load, instead this joke about mommies needing wine has just gone gangbusters. Mm -hmm. Almost as if that is the solution. And I think that's where the disconnect's been. And that's kind of been, my my goal in my writing and um and the conversations i'm trying to have at a national and even international level to say let's get back to the the focus like we need to focus on this like from a policy standpoint from a company standpoint from a societal standpoint what can we be doing to focus on the mental load for moms um, and my worry is the mommy needs wine culture drifts us away from this important topic and makes it a funny, lighthearted um, comedy bit um, that has potential ramifications like justifying excessive drinking to deal with parenting, which um, is, shouldn't be an excuse, but for people like me, it was an excuse. It was an excuse to drink more because I didn't know what else to do. Yeah. Mommy's running on empty. She's tired. She's drained. Um, she's getting no help from anybody. Um, she's going to drink. Mm -hmm. that, that's kind of what would go through my head. Like I, I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to drink. Instead of having these deeper conversations about what we can do or um, what needs to change, we just, we fell into this wrong dynamic and wrong conversation. And I'd love to um, help spread the message that there is a much bigger conversation we need to be having socially um, that does not lead us into addictive behaviors. Yeah. yeah. And I've seen, you know, a lot of the memes and the shirts and, you know, like it's wine o'clock or you know, whatever. I mean, and on, on initially, some of it is funny, you know, but then it's like, for someone like you and I, 
And, and just someone like when I hear your story, for instance, like I really start to understand what that really means. And they are these products and these things that are almost like trying to desensitize us from that. But it's like, yeah, okay, maybe on the front end, it's funny for a second. But what that really means is, is like this mom is probably or not probably but could be driving around drinking wine with their kids in the car like it's gotten to that but you know and that's just one little example but right. yeah i mean that's that's really scary now your writing has been featured in uh several well-known publications and there was one piece in particular where you wrote about a play date uh that went a little sideways so can you tell us a little bit about that because that's touching a little bit on this mommy wine culture topic yeah, um, so I was early in my sobriety. I think I was about six months in and um, I was invited to a play date at a mom's house um, who I did not know uh, very well. Um, so I went over there, it was like early afternoon. Um, so I did not mentally prepare to have, have a drink in my purse in case I was offered alcohol, anything like that. Um, it did not even cross my mind, um, I guess, just because I thought it was early during the day and I didn't know this woman. I just didn't think we would go there. But almost first thing when um, I walked in the door, um, she she kind of giggled like it's mimosa time and she popped the champagne. She's getting the drinks ready and like I completely froze up. And in my head, I'm just like, oh crap, what do I do now? And um, I felt like a kid in high school who just walked into a party and somebody wants to know what you're drinking and you're like, should I be cool or should I not be cool? <laughs> Everyone's gonna judge me based on right. uh, what I say right now. And at first I was like, well, maybe I will accept the drink and um, pretend to drink it. And then part of me was like, just tell her you don't drink. But I think I had this fear with not knowing what this was like first of all i don't know this woman i'm not gonna come out and just be like oh no thanks i'm an alcoholic like i didn't even i wasn't even comfortable saying that word to myself so why would i say that to a stranger um and then part of me was like well if i if i'm not fun and i'm not a drinker maybe she won't invite me on play dates in the future like i, I want to be fun i want her to like me and i just i felt so many different feelings going into this and um, I think my my question for that for that moment was why why is alcohol the only drug we need to explain not using so why if I say no to this is that going to be awkward would that I mean would that be awkward if some I mean if somebody offered me hard drugs at this play date would it be awkward if I said no probably not it'd be kind of weird to be offered that in general yeah um, alcohol as a drug is so expected um, in in the world we live in that it's weird if you don't drink it so. Um, at the end of the play date, um, you know, I did wind up saying, you know what, I actually, I stopped drinking six months ago. I feel great. Um, I have a toxic relationship with alcohol and she was great. And we had play dates after that. Everything was fine. But um, it was a pivotal moment in my own growth because for me, who was still trying to understand for my own self, what is this? What am I doing? 
it put me in a position where I felt like I had to explain myself to other people, um, which was something that I was generally trying to avoid up until that point. And I think we live in a culture where you do have to explain yourself for not drinking alcohol, which is uncomfortable and weird and kind of ridiculous. Um, yeah. Love to get to a point where we normalize sobriety. Um, I told a friend, like, normalize uh, the drink choices you're offering. If you're going to offer a beer or wine at a party, also throw in seltzer in there. So when somebody says, thanks, I'll have seltzer, it doesn't feel like they're turning you down. And right. it, it doesn't point the, uh, it doesn't pinpoint the focus on, whoa, she's not drinking. That mm -hmm. goes there. <laughs> you know, it feels yeah. being called out. Uh, I'd love to get to that point where it wasn't even, it wasn't even a choice to be made because we're already offering various drinks that are alcoholic and non-alcoholic at a party. Yeah. Any sort of social engagement. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And the truth is like these days, and I think this is, you know, part of the positive aspect of all this, there are less and less people drinking. I mean, for the most part, and I would say, I think that was really starting to change pretty substantially up until, uh, you know, this whole COVID thing happened. Um, because up until this, like there were alcohol companies with like record losses and they were all shifting to how can we make money off of products that are non-alcoholic. And I, I know what you're saying about people you know, uh, looking at you weird or, you know, something when you say you don't want to drink. I remember, although the culture is a little different, I was in Europe one time with my wife. I think we were in Italy and she was having a glass of wine and the guy asked what I wanted or, or what kind of wine I wanted. And I was like, no, just, you know, sparkling water or something for me. And he just, he literally like dropped what he was writing on, like down by his side and looked at me like, what's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> like what the hell's wrong with you you know and yeah. uh, and so we may not get that response here like in in the states but still I, I think a lot of the times you're right it would be so much easier if just it was just the norm to where it's like you have alcoholic and non-alcoholic options available and there's just there's no need for a conversation right I mean when it comes right down to it if someone wants to talk about it that's up to them. And some people are really comfortable being out in the open, but at the end of the day, it's really nobody's business. So no. um, it should just be a yes or no answer, but we do live, um, I feel like at a time where when you decline a drink, people want to know why, or it certainly piques their interest at the very least. Yeah. So there yeah. must be a story there. Exactly, right, right. So you write this piece and then what is the response to all of this? Um, so it went nuts. Um, I, I had 14 million views um, oh, wow. up in media outlets all over the world. Um, it was, it was tremendous and it, it wasn't all positive. You know, a lot of people were really angry. Um, and at first I was very defensive about it. Cause I was like, it's none of your freaking business. Well, and what were they saying? What were they angry? They about? were mad that, um, I didn't just tell the girl right up front. Okay. Say, I don't drink. So no, I do not want a mimosa. Hmm. Let's move on to something else. Um, I think they, yeah, they, 
they felt like that was um, the wrong decision. Um, and, you know, the only reason the play date was awkward was because I made it awkward. And at first, that really frustrated me because I was like, well, if you haven't been in recovery for six months, you would not understand how awkward everything is yeah. in those early months. Um, but over time, I just reread it to myself a couple months ago. I reread that piece and I was kind of annoyed with myself too. Hmm. Um, you know, I think with time, you know, your, your mindset does change. Um, I, I feel like a lot of me would make very different choices now about um, how I would have handled that situation if it was now instead of two and a half years ago. Um, but it wasn't. It was early in my recovery and um, I had a different mindset back then. So I have to honor that. But um, yeah, I think the responses were all over the map. People who were in recovery, um, especially the ones who are in early recovery like me, completely understood and they were very supportive. But yeah, I did get a lot of pushback and, and a lot of people saying, um, there's nothing wrong with drinking. Why? <laughs> it's your own problem for saying no in the first place. You know, right. like you still do get a lot of really ugliness and pushback from people who think that alcoholics belong in a basement out of the way so nobody can see them or hear them. Mm -hmm. And us normal people to live our lives. And yeah. I, so I got, you know, that I got that ugliness too. It was all over the map. And that's what happens when you get. Um, a large piece, but um, I also did get a chance to write a piece just for the Washington Post to kind of expand on that topic and speak to um, the dynamics of the mommy wine culture, how I got to this place, and how I do feel like um, alcohol is an accessory to parenting, and it, it absolutely affects my own ability to make friends and stay sober. Yeah. Well, and this isn't just an isolated incident. Like this isn't just your story. Right. And we've had uh, some other moms on the show that, that, you know, you know, mm -hmm. talking about this, the same type of, of culture that is, you know, come about for moms and also just women in general. I mean, there are record numbers of women that are binge drinking these days. Right. And um, I, I mean, it's just, I, I, it should be talked about. And I, I think it is, it's an interesting, it's a little different for everyone, I think, early on in sobriety, but there are these social situations. And see, like for me, I was able to, I guess, defend it a little bit easier. Like I wasn't just tossed into a situation like you were. And, um, but, you know, it was kind of weird the first few times because. Uh, you know, people were kind of tiptoeing around me a little bit. I mean, there was even a situation, I'm, I'm seven years sober now, and there was a situation recently at, uh, for 4th of July where a guy that I've, I've known for a long time, but I hadn't seen him in years, he knows I'm sober. And he was asking another friend, like, well, like, is it okay to bring alcohol over there? Like, <laughs> was, you know, all I could really do is kind of laugh about it because I'm just like, man, that's not it has, you know, do whatever you want. It has nothing to do with, yeah. uh, you know, with what I want. Um, so anyway, now did, did you ever talk to this mom again after all of this? I mean, you said you guys still have play dates. 
Yeah, um, she reached out to me not too long ago, maybe a month or two ago, um, and she found that article I had written um, uh, two years later, um, and she said, is this piece about me? <laughs> and I laughed because yeah, technically she was right. It was based on my experience at her house, but um, I was so general about the whole experience and all. The only thing that probably made her think that this might be about her was the way she said mimosa time. <laughs> else, you know, it wasn't about it wasn't about her or her house or anything that could um, help her distinguish that this was about one particular person, except that. Um, and I said, yeah, I use that setting as an example, but the fact is this similar experience has happened several times at this point. So um, I, I, I use that story as a setting off point to, to draft this piece about um, the situation and what it's like being in early sobriety and not really feeling like you have a right answer or a good answer to explain um, why you are no longer drinking. And uh, it was great. Um, we laughed about it. Um, and it, it had, I, I don't think it had any effect over um, our relationship, but it was funny for, to have kind of that come full circle where she, she came across it herself. So uh, it, that is funny. it was a, it was a little moment of, yeah, you caught me. <laughs> yeah. It was all good. Well, good. Now, can you tell us a little about the ultimate mom challenge? Yeah. So I started the ultimate mom challenge right when I started writing. I started writing about five years ago and um, I didn't quite know what I was doing with this. All I knew is I wanted to write and I wanted to write about parenting and my experience is parenting. I had just read the book, The Happiness Project, and in it, Gretchen Rubin every month focuses on different um, ways that um, cultures aim to achieve happiness. So whether it's through meditation or um, uh, affirmations, different things that help people find happiness or become more happy. And I love that concept. And I thought, well, what if I did something like that, but more steered towards being the mom I want to be. So each month I would focus on something like uh, being more um, grateful. One month would be more mindful. Um, one month um, aiming to be more healthy. And each month the, the goal is to be the ultimate mom, which for me was a very specific look and feel that I thought would make me feel more confident as a mother. I did it. I went through this whole year process, each month, different focus. I called it the ultimate, ultimate mom challenge. I trademarked it. I even started writing a book about it. I found an agent, everything was great. And then, um, you know, this was in the course of a couple of years. Um, I announced to my, um, my reader base that at that point I was one year sober and I was very excited. And I have realized and committed at that point to being sober for life. Um, 
I, I was just so grateful uh, for my experience and I knew that this is a lifestyle I wanted to choose for me and my family moving forward. Um, so I got a resounding uh, response from that and people were so supportive, um, but my agent called me and said, you know, we gotta, we gotta put the Ultimate Mom Challenge book on the table, right? And I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, you can't have a book about your attempt to be a better mother and not talk about sobriety. I mean, you explain to your fans that that is what is making you the ultimate mom. Your book doesn't talk about that. And right. I was like, okay. And I put it on the table and we're working on a book now about um, being a sober mom, which in all irony is my, my work to be the ultimate mom. Um, it did, um, it, it, I had to, everything changed, you know, everything changes when you, when you get sober, your priorities change, what you think you need, um, in your life and your family and to achieve happiness, all of that shifts and for the better in every way, um, it just looks different. And, um, of course my agent was right. I can't write a book about being the ultimate mom without the entire book being about focusing on sobriety because yeah. when I was in that year, the underlying problem in every single situation, which I never wrote about because I was living in this own world and own narrative that I'm fine, everything's fine, this is what moms do, um, was the fact that I was drinking too much. Um, I never find happiness um, with this ongoing, um, means of coping. Wow. Yeah. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense that you need to rewrite the book from this new, uh, this new, and, and I guess really just a more honest perspective, right. About what was, you know, what was really going on. And, and I get that. I mean, not like I was doing, you know, a ton of meditation or, you know, affirmations. And there were probably, I don't want to say probably there was zero gratitude being practiced <laughs> whatsoever. But, you know, even when I would try to do other things to just be like a happier or better person in general, kind of like you just said, I wasn't addressing the root problem. And I was certainly one of those people that was trying to do everything but address the substance abuse problem. And, and if I didn't do anything about that, like none of the other stuff would matter. So I, I get that. Um, and, and that's pretty awesome. Now, what is the ultimate mom challenge right now? Is this a, is this a group uh, of women or? Um, so it, it's, I don't know what the ultimate mom challenge is anymore. You know, I know what it used to be and I don't know what it's going to be next. Um, what I think it is for me now, and what I think my readers see it as, is it's one woman's journey um, to, to being a better, happier, more satisfied person. And it's obviously a lifetime work in progress, but um, that's, I think that's what it's always gonna be. But, um, it's changed because what it started as was this definitive book. And now it's more like a, a nebulous um, idea of, of what I see um, 
parenting as and what I think it can be and what I think we're capable of making it, it's just not there yet. But um, what I write about is generally, um, I, walk, I talk about the, the mental load for mothers. I talk about the mommy wine culture. I talk about how um, they are so in, intertwined and that that's not getting enough attention um, in the media. Um, I talk about my own fall from grace. I talk about my sobriety. Um, and then I talk about parenting kids, um, one with special needs. And um, there's just, I, I think parenting and motherhood is very nebulous and there isn't, um, you, there's nothing black and white about it. So I suppose the space I'm in and the space of what makes the ultimate mom challenge it is where it's at because that is what motherhood is like. It's every day, not, you don't have an end goal. I mean, aside from trying to keep the kids alive, right? It's something bigger than that. It's an attempt to be a good mom, to give your kids what they need, to create boundaries and to not lose yourself in the process. And I think that's what I will spend the rest of my life working on and trying to find that balance because um, as long as you've got kids who need you and rely on you, it will always be a struggle and a tug of war of back and forth of trying to figure out where your needs end and where theirs begin. Yeah, I get that. And, and I'm not a mom, but I can certainly see how, you know, just from my own mom and, and other moms, I know it's a, it does seem like a constant battle, like, okay, how do I still take care of myself, but take care of the kids. And, and I know that if moms take better care of themselves, they take better care of the kids. So I, I can just see how it's a, uh, it's a battle. And I think any mom would do better with, with some kind of guidance and, um, you know, really just having someone like you to share an honest perspective uh, about all of that. You're also part of the Sober Mom Squad, and I've had a, a few of the moms from the squad on, uh, but can you tell us about that and what you guys are actually doing? Yeah, so we started the Sober Mom Squad in March, just as the pandemic um, was hitting, and um, we started to feel a lot of weight coming down on us individually. Um, you you mentioned this earlier, like the COVID um I mean, drinking just, it was like a whole new mommy wine culture, but it was like a COVID wine culture. Just the memes went crazy. The, the um, conversation was all about drinking to cope. Um, and it just felt like, it just felt like an avalanche of pressure to drink this really strange, scary time. And I was feeling it and some other, um, other writer friends uh, who are sober too, we're also feeling it. And we said, you know, let's meet up and let's have, let's have calls. Let's just once a week, any, anybody who's a mom in recovery or who has a toxic relationship with alcohol can join us on these Zoom calls and we'll just talk about it. We'll talk about some of the pressures we're facing. We'll lighten the load. We'll support each other. Let's just start it. So we did once a week, we started this little weekly meeting for moms to meet up. And um, 
it was popular and um, people loved it and nobody else was doing anything like it. Um, and the response was just phenomenal. So we just kept going and we kept going. And at one point, I think we even said, hey, if you guys feel like this is done and um, you, your, need, your needs have been met and they no longer are being met, please let us know. And the women kept coming back to us saying, no, please keep doing it. So it kept growing to the point where we will be doing a full on, um, a, a mommy squad, uh, the sober mom squad membership. Um, and it, it'll be a full fledged group and program. Um, and it got to that point, which is so exciting. Um, and there's just nothing else out there like this. And, um, it's a community of women who su support each other like none other, because we all know the struggles of parenting, and now we know it during the pandemic. And yeah. nobody else out there who can understand some of the pressures and experiences we're facing the way we are. And to have that camaraderie right now has been detrimental. And I think, you know, you're seeing the depression levels and the suicide rates and the um, relapse rates going on right now, it's because people don't have the community and connection they need during these very unprecedented times. And I feel like that is what this group can provide. Yeah. Uh, so it's been profound um, and I'm so grateful for it. And I hope, um, I hope it just continues to grow from here. I know there's so many moms out there who did relapse during this, um, mm -hmm. this pandemic. Um, I've seen it with my own followers. So my hope and prayer is they can come back to us and they can come back to us, whether it's through my writing or uh, my sober mom friends writing or through the sober mom squad itself. And we can be stronger than ever. Yeah. Wow. That, that's such a cool community. And I would think that there would have been a need for that even without this pandemic going on. But, you know, I see moms who are trying to stay sober. Uh, a lot of them are working uh, mm -hmm. or trying to figure out that during this time. Now they're trying to figure out what's going to happen with their kids' school. So they are the teacher to some extent or trying to keep their kids in line while, you know, doing this distance learning or online learning. Um, and then on top of that, they're doing all of the things that they would normally be doing. And then on top of that, there is just this like, you know, for a lot of people, a gripping fear around this whole pandemic. And it just seems like a, uh, a recipe for disaster if you don't have any tools in a community to connect with. And, and what you're describing, Celeste, is really one of the main reasons that and I never thought I'd say this, but I'm, I'm grateful to be an alcoholic and a drug addict because I look at people that, that don't have the same issues we do, um, like some of my friends and family members, and they don't have anyone to connect with. They have no, they have no community. They don't have any of the tools that are kind of like the norm to us, or they're not using them anyway. And um, so, you know, it, it's for a lot of us, I think it's a cool thing because it started out as, hey, I'm going to use, you know, use these tools and, and these guidelines as a way not to drink or use drugs. But now I'm going to use it to get 
through life and create an awesome life. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's so cool. Yeah. I think, um, I, it pains me to think where I would be right now if I was not sober during this um, pandemic, it would have been, if, if, if I hadn't already hit rock bottom, this would have been it because this has tested me and everybody to our limits. Um, but can you imagine the, um, what we're showing our children during perhaps one of the hardest times in our lives, how we are coping during hard trying times and what we're doing to support ourselves and our family during this. I hope that if something similar happens when my children are grown up, they will look back on this experience and remember what we were doing to stay healthy, to um, stay, stay in a community, in, in connection and um, to stay healthy um, and not slip and fall to really dark, dangerous, um, addictive habits. Um, and I hope that they'll remember this if, the, if it ever does come to that. And, you know, good times or bad, you know, I feel like this is the, this is what we're showing our children. They're watching us. Um, I know my kids are looking at me and if I'm looking scared, they're going to feel scared. Yeah. I need to stay strong for them. And um, I need to show them that when times get hard, this is what we can do um, to, to get through it and to get through it in a healthy way. And, um, and from then, you know, they have to make their own choices, but at least I showed them one, one path they can take moving forward. Hmm. If I wasn't sober during all this, um, I can only imagine what lessons they would have gained from that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's a great point. And I actually, when I was in a meeting, when all of this started a recovery meeting, someone pointed out, and I hadn't even thought about this, and it's probably in part because I don't have kids yet, but, you know, someone had just pointed out that this could very well be the moment in time that 18, 20 years down the line that I'm sitting in meetings, hopefully, and I'm hearing some younger people essentially relay that this was the, the traumatic period in their life that they kind of feel like brought about their substance abuse issues. So I'm with you. I mean, I think it's so important, like now more than ever, we, we have to stay connected um, and we have to figure out how to do that for our families too. Um, so I, I think you're dead on with that. So Celeste, before we wrap up, what is maybe one piece of advice that you'd like to share with the sober nation? Um, my suggestion would be when you're looking at how you are going to work your recovery, um, to base it around your own personality and what works for you. Because I do think that as individuals, we all have uh, different ways of recovering and there's no wrong way. So I think for a person who um, accountability is really important, um, that they need to really focus on that during the recovery. For somebody who really needs science-based backing and science-based evidence, um, there's so many books that you can really focus on to get a better understanding of what's going on neurologically. 
for people who need the community, like they know that in their heart they're extroverted and they need that um, to feel alive and strong, and that needs to be a really strong component of the recovery. And I think you need to individualize your approach based on who you are as a person and what works for you um, um, as, a, as a unique individual. Um, and I, I don't think that gets enough attention, but I think it's critical for having a, a wonderful experience and for getting through it. Yeah, that's, man, that's really awesome advice. And I love that because I, I think it does need to be individualized. Even if you choose to stick with primarily a particular recovery program, there are still going to be other things that, that I like or you like or are going to appeal to us more or help us more in our recovery. And I think you're absolutely right in that we need to really try to find that stuff um, because it's, it's only going to be helpful. So you can learn more about Celeste, her writing, and the Ultimate Mom Challenge at theultimatemomchallenge.com. Thanks again for coming on the show, Celeste. Thanks, Jonathan. This was great. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the info from today's episode. Sober Nation FM is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Sobriety Engine is a free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. This show is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle while supporting your sobriety, you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And again, whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. Nation, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.